Hello everybody and welcome to episode 90 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Argos found a DeLorean, Mario sells at a sickening pace, cutbacks at Telltale Games, and our book club this week asks, what if Air Guitar was a little bit sillier but a lot more expensive? It's Guitar Hero. Let's start the show. even from your friends I'm at linkthecast.eu uh, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms be it Apple Podcasts SoundCloud Podcast Addict and Stitcher uh, I'm your party host Dave Ryan and I'm joined finally the returning the the prodigal son has returned the prodigal son you might say has returned to the podcast is the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson Mark how are you my friend Vader really is just a ridiculous human being, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, as is tradition when we record in studio, we've got uh, some some old wrestling on in the background, just kind of chewing gum for the eyeballs as we chat. And yeah, Vader's there in a what, in what a is vest, the point of the just mask? punching as it's Stan Hansen. What is the point of Vader's I don't mask? Know, I don't know. It's the only thing that makes you briefly forget what a die he looks like. <laughs> but anyway, oh. Mark, first podcast in three weeks. We had a uh, we had a uh, two weeks. Of there we go, there yeah, we go. Yeah, <laughs> production your, assistance. Your signals, your your wordless signals you needs some work. You were just kind of going. <laughs> it's it's fair to say that in my lifetime, uh, I've had a number of people say that I give mixed signals. I will so. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, oh dear. Uh, back on the pod. We had two weeks with a uh, friend of the show, Jack Lazell, filling yeah. in for you. Thank admirably. you very much, Jack. I do doing appreciate a job. A couple of banging shows, if I do say so he's myself. A, he's a good lad. I do appreciate him. Um, how have you been? Yeah, I just really busy. Is um, the 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 key reason? Yeah, why you were doing here. two weeks of lates, and we tend to record these in the evenings, so that really kinda... yeah. So it's like it's the the the. The pros and cons of, hey, I've got, you know, like, considering, like, this time last year where work was all patchy and um, I think I'd actually just started my new job around about this time last year. And yeah. so, like, 12 months on, um, you know, things are looking really good. Things are really busy and very productive. But the the negative of that, obviously, is, um, yeah, just been... The things that aren't the, the, the bill-paying job... Uh, tend to kind of move around yeah. a little bit. All about yeah. that growing That's up until boy. we launch that Patreon of ours. <laughs> Is that <laughs> the Patreon.com? That and the t shirts and the mugs and whatever yeah, else. Yeah, damn right. Well, we do technically have one t shirt. We one do. Mug That's that true. It's a very nice um, to me But once. yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jack, for the first week, which was planned, and then the last week, which was kind of on short notice. So. <laughs> um, There's no but... man better able to, at very little notice, talk for ages to me about stuff. Yeah. Um, um, but so, like, so I've listened to the last two weeks' shows, and so we've got some bones to pick. No, no. Well, um, I know there was there was one week I remember not not too long ago where Jack filled in for you, and you came back with like a mental <laughs> list of things that you wanted to bury him for. Um, no, so I I liked Thor Ragnarok. I thought yeah. that was great. Yeah, that was that was really good fun. Um, no, he's dead. Yeah, no, he's dead, man. <laughs> I'm not even going to bother the accents. Me, martial of accents. Um, Stranger Things, about series two. Uh, I really enjoyed 
Um, I do agree with some of the sentiments that some people have been having that it does start very slow, which is kind of a Netflix thing at mm. this point. Um, I was fine. I'm not, I'm not adverse to a slow no, burn, though. No, like you if know? you're gonna like smash through them all Nine in one day or like, two days, yeah. you know. Um, I wasn't as against episode seven as some people were. Mm. Um, I think that just because that episode is so radically and tonally different. This was like the, um, we won't spoil it because obviously it's only been out a couple of weeks, but this was the show that was basically, uh, in gaming terminology, a side quest for one of the characters. Yeah, and like, so it reminded me a bit of, uh, there was an old show on Channel 5 called The The Tribe. It had a little bit of The Warriors about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for those that were coming in looking for that kind of 80s uh, kind of sci-fi slight horror shtick you know it's not there it's it's completely different but i think that some of the acting isn't great some of the writing isn't great Mm. but in terms of giving a little bit more kind of character development to 11 it's fine um i do think that uh mike really takes a backseat in this series and i know that you pointed out because of the filming of it Mm. but i do think that was just i don't know that for a fact but thinking about when it was probably it makes sense it adds up but i think as well that because like his character is so integral to 11 in the first series yeah that because they go off in different directions that Mm. you really realize oh wait he without 11 there isn't actually a lot yeah they're like a yin yin and yang kind of of thing that one needs the other yeah but on the flip side of that that means that will gets a lot more in this Mm. series where yeah he's the real kind of centerpiece of the whole thing him and, and went on a rider, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's kind of the centerpiece of the first series. But, yeah. But he, the centerpiece without. Device, yeah, he's yeah. He's a MacGuffin in the first yeah, yeah. series. <laughs> he's the the briefcase that uh, Samuel L. Jackson has in Pulp Fiction. But I I love the the relationship that they um work on or build up between Hopper and Eleven, and I fucking Dustin and Steve. I was yeah. was not something that I was expecting. And what a uh, mega powers! Oh man, if, if we don't get a side off a spin off series of those two, Steve, uh, there's real kind of like Steve is the new barb for a lot of people, in <laughs> as much as that he's the new cult hero, yeah, uh, of that show. He, which he is great, he made a face turn and then some, you know, yeah. Um, but like, where because the thing is, because some people were comparing Billy from this season, the new character Billy, to Steve the last season, but but Steve had. An, an arc he had character development you know mm. where billy he's pretty much kind of one note across yeah. he's a real caricature of the 80s you know yeah there's a what there is about billy is that um i feel that there's a lot of teases about where they could go deepening that character yeah there's certain nuance to it um but yeah it is kind of there's a lot of very tropies 80s git to him yeah um so it's not perfect by any means but yeah. I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, mm. And I feel there was something else as well that I saw, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So, but yeah, I'm fine. I'm all good. I'm mm. grand. How about you? How are things? Um, well, I saw a film today myself as well. Oh, and that was the uh, the latest adaptation of Murder Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh, okay. Uh, directed and st- uh, directed by and starring in the role of Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Branagh. Young Kenneth or, Branagh, or as he's as he's referred to by. Uh, a much loved podcaster uh, that we know uh, know of, Mark Hermode. Who uh, he uh, refers to him as Kenneth Branagh. Who um, I had an old English teacher who claimed to have at one time sexual relations with that man. So, wait, Kermode or Branagh? <laughs> Branagh. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the, the adaptation of the uh, the Agatha Christie novel, the classic mur- murder mystery. A uh, big ensemble cast in it: Josh yeah, Gad, he of uh, Frozen fame. 
Um, Michelle Pfeiffer is in it. Johnny Depp is in it. Daisy Ridley from Star Wars is in it. Um, Jesus, who the fuck else is in it? Uh, Dame Judi Dench, Olivia Colman. Mm. Like the list goes on. It's a a fantastic ensemble cast. And I think, I think it gets pulled off rather well. Um, because the, like everybody who you kind of want in the film gets enough screen time without feeling that it was just like casting a big name for the sake of it. Like the characters feel developed and that's all obviously going to happen with the, uh, the source material being so good um i the the one person i wouldn't have cared to see too much in the film is johnny depp because i'm kind of over johnny depp as a thing now yeah but johnny depp if for anybody who like has seen the trailer or knows anything of the story he's the guy who is the victim of the murder so he's not around for long excellent <laughs> it's uh, so like they knew him but i'll tell you what uh, i was talking to to jack about this because he went and saw it at the weekend and it was he that gave me the recommendation um, Kenneth Branagh is absolutely just he is having the time of his life as Hercule Poirot yeah. he is loving it and he is just going for that Belgian accent I was going to say how's the accent just it, it's it's pretty decent yeah. like it's it's kind of like it gets a bit cartoony at points but in the kind of way that like if you've ever seen anything with Hercule Poirot in it he's a little bit of a cartoon character yeah and his mustache have you seen Kenneth Branagh's mustache in this film I think I've seen the trailer please google it as I'm talking if, okay. you, if you can't bring it to mind you it know, is I will perhaps, google and this is a lofty term cinema's most preposterous mustache Kenneth Branagh mustache it's it's there yeah it's it's a work of art well that's and it's possibly the star of the film that is that is healthy <laughs> it is um but yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's a fun little caper. I think it's the kind of um I think it's a perfect um matinee movie. Like if you're going to see something in like, you know, early on in the day, you're not going as a kind of like uh you don't want to go to a big kind of box office explosions all the time. You want to go to something that's a little bit fun, a little bit thinky, but not too much, because you do have to follow the thread of the mystery and the clues and things like that. Um, but it's light, do you know? It's not there. There isn't really any violence that does happen in it. Kind of happens off stage, off screen, kind of thing. Um, so I think it's good. Good for kind of. It's one of those ones as well. It, it's a film that older relatives of yours will want to see. Like uh, I, I, I was joking today to um a relative of mine that my my grandmother would probably want to see this film. Because she, she loves po- she loves Ag- Agatha Christie. She loves Poirot. Yeah. Um, but doesn't do the cinema thing. I think very seldom will she she'll come out of nowhere with a I need to see this film, but never goes to cinema besides that unless it's to bring the kids. So Mamma Mia was a big one for her. Uh the, the weird one was the best exotic marigold hotel. Do you remember that one? Like I Oh I, well, you probably didn't see it, but you remember the title no, like, being I, was that like one of those Alan Rickman's in Yeah, it, it's one of those like old people of, fuck around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I think it was set in India or something. Yeah, I think yeah. this will be the next in that long tradition of uh, my grandmother periodically saying she really wants to go so see So she one. didn't go and see Blade right. Runner then? No. Nah, funnily enough. Although she did see the first one in the cinema, she was telling oh, me. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although she remembers going to see um Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Okay. Uh, um, or no, she she remembers she remembers watching it. Yeah, that was it. The story that um, she nearly left my grandfather because they watched it at home. It was on television, 
and while she was watching Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, my granda thought it would be hilarious if he went into the other room and got the actual bird in the house and put it on her shoulder in the middle of it. Yeah, she was, did not appreciate this. That's, that's a good idea. That's definitely, you know, when you're trying to work uh, on a bond. But a, a, a good recommendation for that movie. Good, not great. Um, it's just kind of like inconsequential. I don't think I'll ever watch it again necessarily, but it was fun. Um, the other thing that's happened to me this week is I have had... Oh, issues and it kind of pivots into video games in that uh, we we must eulogize the passing of my PS4 Pro. What? Yeah, yeah. So do you remember I talked on the show a couple of months ago about this issue it had with uh, it beeps once and then turns off and I messed around with the fan and the dust filter yeah, and yeah, it yeah. kicked back into life. So I'm sorry, wait, how long have you had this? Uh, a year and I, I will get to the okay I will okay, get to the, the kind of cool. the, the thing so uh, what was happening was I I'd be playing the PS4 grand and then like I'd turn it off as I normally do because I, I, I'm a guy who turns the console off rather than leaves it in rest mode most of the time um, and then go to sleep following day I go to boot it up play a bit of FIFA or something like that and it's just just won't come on what will happen is it will beep once the the blue light strip will light up very briefly and then it'll just go dead and you just press the button all you want it's not happening you press eject all you want it's not happening so uh issues similar to that have been described in various places on various forums so the first thing i do you end up on like yahoo answers yeah like i i would consider myself fairly competent at fixing these kind of problems i would have no problem cracking open a console and at some point you find a youtube video and you follow it along and you're fine yeah yeah so like that's why i was the go-to guy amongst like my kind of group of friends for doing the hard drive switch on the ps4 because i would have no problem I, I wouldn't be like, oh, fuck, I'm going to break something and void the warranty. I, I knew how to do it. But anyway, um, so I look at these forums and the, the first time it was like um, one of the solutions was just plug it out, leave it for a few minutes to plug it back in. Okay. That worked. Then kind of like another couple of months later, same thing happened again. And I looked more in more detail to it. And that was the time I talked about it on the show, which was like... Uh, dust out the the vents on the sides of the thing and then you can the the ps4 is great because it's really they make it very user friendly if you want to get inside the guts of the thing uh like you remember the ps3 and and the ps2 and stuff like that that there'd be big stickers over and it's like you try to open this thing the warranty is void and we will not replace it for you sure whereas the ps4 is like fucking do what you want yeah uh i think the only thing if you try to get at the heat sink in the PS4 Pro, that is behind the, the warranty voiding part of the machine. Anyway, uh, I was able to crack open the casing and get at the fan, and I was able to blow a little bit of air in the fan to clear the fan. Didn't see that much dust in it, but it said that that was what you should try and do. So I did it, put the case back together. PS4 worked grand again. So this time, I tried all of that. I tried a couple of other things as well. Um, there was an idea that some people found that if you tried to there's a manual eject hidden on the PS4s um, and I don't know where it is on the standard or the slim but on the um, on the PS4 Pro you flip it over there's like claws on the bottom of it to kind of hold it in place on a table that are shaped like the square circle triangle and X mm-hmm. all around it uh, one of the circles can actually be removed 
and uh, there's a hole that goes down into the console and if you pop a Phillips screwdriver that's thin enough one of those kind of you know the small screwdrivers that are used for yep. electronics yep 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 if you pop one of those in to the very bottom and start turning it slowly it will manually slowly slide the disc out for you huh so I did that tried to plug back in nothing yeah so what I was left with is um, and the reason I want to talk to this because it is actually like and hopefully it will be like it's sitting in the hall there ready for um, pick up tomorrow but uh, I I'm I must pleasantly report my customer service experience with Sony here and fair play to them because my first concern was right I got this thing slightly over a year ago I think it was the end of October start of November last year so in around this very time last year and um, oh the first sorry step back a little bit i kind of i got to the point where i had found a few posts saying this is a this is a, a not exceptionally rare but a rare enough bug in the launch ps4 pros that this exact thing happens and it will keep happening and there's no there's no um explanation out there in the wild how to permanently fix the problem but seemingly some of these half-hour solutions people were doing were kind of forestalling the inevitable of the thing dying um so i was just kind of prolonging it but anyway i go onto the website they have this hardware support section and it's just a series of clicks where it's like right okay which one of our devices are you using you got ps4 which one of the models ps4 pro uh enter in your your number because at this point i'm still worried that because i got it a year ago i don't have my fucking receipt from gamestop i was like i had it for a while but i don't think i have it anymore or at least i wouldn't know where to lay my hand to it automatically yeah well, remind me because like standard eu jeez, oh, i can't even remember now because you have like 30 days is like a policy for some places and mm-hmm. then you have like year long three year longs depending on whatever yeah warranties and stuff like that are generally uh especially for small electronics are generally at the retailer's discretion after the 30 day grace yeah. period and uh, with larger electronics, there's usually kind of, at least here in Ireland anyway, there's usually, you pretty much have to give them a year's warranty on yeah, it. Yeah, and, and then, then after, after that, you're, that, paying, it's, for it. you're paying for extended warranty. Mm-hmm. Like, I paid for extended warranty on my Switch just because if I'm offered extended warranty on a launch console, if you ever bought a Yo, launch console you, before, yeah. you know the you launch consoles it. are liable to break. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I'm going through this list going, at the end, they're just going to tell me that I have to return it to the retailer. I'm like, fuck you know yeah so i'm going through this whole list and they're like put in your unique product code so on the bottom kind of in one of the lats there's a sticker that has uh, a unique product key for this exact playstation Mm -hmm. console i key it in um then it kind of drops down your your name address or it, it starts asking you a bunch of questions that are like okay have you tried this have you tried this have you tried this obviously probably in ascending order the list of most common problems with that device from least fucked to most fucked how was your ps4 yeah because yeah, yeah. that was the other thing the only solution i hadn't tried yet at this point was it told me uh some people have been able to remove the hard drive put the hard drive back in and that'll work and i was like well that means no matter what i do whether i try to send it back to them or i try to do this my hard drive is going to be wiped yeah now my saves and everything are fine they're in the cloud but it's the process of re-downloading and reinstalling stuff that was frustrating me it's like so i might as well do the permanent solution and contact sony rather than if i do this it works and then six months from now the thing dies again sure sure you know so i answer all the questions and they're right okay so you've tried all this uh could you describe the problem it gives me a list of things and obviously my ps4 pro won't turn on as one of them so i 
put that one in, and sorry, put your name, age, and address, stuff like that. And they're like, okay, we're kind of satisfied that you've done um, your due diligence here and checking that everything is, that you've done everything you can. Uh, so just send it directly back to us. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to send because those PS4 Pros are heavy. I was like, send that in the fucking post? Are you kidding me? So it brings me to the next page where, yeah, I key in all my personal stuff, uh, like my address, my telephone number, my um, email address, all that good jazz. Uh, and then they go, okay, right, you've got your reference number for this case. Uh, an email is in your inbox telling you what to do from here. So um, what they send me is there's a, there's a link and then there's a PDF. In the link, it um, tells me, right, this is how you need to package the PS4 Pro because, obviously, if any additional damage occurs to the external parts of the console, in transit, they're not responsible for that because you're supposed to pack it properly. Yeah. So they give you a bit of a tutorial on how the PS4 Pro should be packed. That's fine. And then the PDF is a product key because they straight away, kind of in the way that Amazon do, completely complimentary return service you don't have to pay i've dealt with some companies very recently who insist on you paying the cost of shipping until they've gotten it and verified there is a problem then they'll pay you back at a later date yes which is some bullshit i uh i had had sent a 360 away before and they uh they actually same as yours just like completely Mm. nope this is all fine this is all covered for yeah um so yeah so it seems like if it is a genuine problem with the console and you didn't do it sony are happy to either fix it for you or they said like if we can't fix it you will just get a brand new one yeah <laughs> um so yeah then like the pdf was just a, a dpd courier label and they gave me a phone number i rang them and the courier is going to come collect it from the house tomorrow rather than me have to go to a post office with it well that's handy. delivered up there actually is a distribution center for sony have outsourced their returns to some company in I, th- I think Galway so it'll be couriered to Galway and they say the average wait time for where you are is between the time we pick it up and the time you get a PlayStation 4 back is 15 days so uh, it's a pretty Fair good custom- like it's it was convoluted it's a little bit kind of it's annoying it's frustrating um, but all in all I must say um, a pleasant customer service experience, which is not something that people report that often. So just fair play to Sony there. The process, an idiot could have done it. Well, Do you know what I mean? I, I feel feel that um, with each iteration, each uh, generation of consoles, um, all of the big hitters, they're aware that launch consoles, there's always the, that batch well even like yeah but even when you start to refine it there's always going to be of course like the random chance so it's it's good pr that like it doesn't matter that you've had this console for ages if it broke and it wasn't your fault we're replacing it yeah do you know what i mean i mean one thing if they come in and like i've punched a hole clean through the top of it well this is the thing as well they're not idiots so they know what's the difference between the console itself dying come in and water's dripping out from the inside of it (laughs) yeah or you know if you've been tampering with it they will see it you know like if you're tampering like it will like i said the ps4 does let you tamper with certain things uh, the other thing they advise you, which is a nice, helpful tip, because I would have forgotten in my frustration and trying to get all the packing stuff together for it. Um, the one thing they won't do is return you your hard drive if you've put a custom one in it. Ah, okay. So I had to pop mine out and, more importantly, go find where the one <laughs> that I got with it was. Yeah. Um, and at least I'm hoping if they can, f- if they fix my original PlayStation, 
I should be able to just slot my hard drive in and I won't have to reinitialize it. Right. Um, but if they send me a new one, I'm just going to have to start from scratch, which is, you know, once I have a working PlayStation, it's only a small annoyance. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fair play to Sony on cool. that one. Um, Good for you. That's my customer service experience. Let's actually talk about some video games, I think, playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, any big games out recently? You've been... Money. I have 500 moons in Mario. Yeah, I'm actually right about the same level. I'm yep. in the high 400s now at this point. I've played a lot of Mario. Yeah, I'm. I the the thing is finally ticked over so that we can finally see how long we've been playing on the game. Yeah. Uh, I I have 30 hours or more so far. Does yours say yet? Oh, uh, I haven't actually looked. Uh. But I, I saw someone post today that they've got a hundred hours yeah, in Mario. That already. was uh, Chris Schilling, I think. From yeah, yeah. Did you see the other? Did you watch? Did you read the re- no, look at the rest of that picture? No, no, no. He's got a hundred and eighty-five hours logged in Arms. <laughs> which fair play, fair. Play. I bet that man's good with Helix. Who has that amount of time? You know? I like, you know, like I, I, you know, when I want to play a game, I can clear a lot of free time. I cannot clear one hundred eighty-five hours for Arms. I'm sorry. Um. um so yeah, Mario. Right. Okay, let's have this discussion. What a video game. I like Mario. Yes. I like it a lot. Yes. I don't think that... Um, so I, I I briefly read some parts of some reviews, but I didn't mm-hmm. go into full details because I hadn't played it yet, so I didn't want to go into yeah, full yeah, details. Yeah. I've seen some people say that they think that it's either the best Mario game, it's the best game of all time, or that um, it's like the, the real kind of follow-up to Mario 64. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with any of those sentiments, partly because I think that that's doing a disservice to Mario Galaxy. Yeah, I think the individual Mario title thing, the best Mario of all time, I think gets mired in the argument of, it, especially with the 3D Marios, is that all of them are different enough that at the end, all of them are different enough and good enough that at the end of the day, really, it's all about personal taste. Yeah, yeah. Do you know sure, what I mean? Sure. Like we'd probably sit here till we're blue in the face and say that um, Super Mario 64 is one of, if not the best, 3D Marios of all time. Mm-hmm. But kids born 10 years after us are going to think it's the worst 3D Mario of all time because it doesn't look like the other ones. Um, possibly, but I mean, that's why you had like the 3D, uh, the DS version. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like it's all, sure. it's all a matter of perspective yeah, at the yeah. end of the day. Um, I'll, I'll go through the, the the small negatives that i have have you beaten the game by the way oh yeah, yeah i've yeah. i've um i've done i know you have game. but i was doing a bit of theater there. yeah yeah so i haven't done the dark side of the moon yet ah uh, that that can wait for a while um <laughs> do you miss cuphead uh yeah <laughs> Here, here's the thing um stay spoiler free if you can i mean it's a mario game i know so. but like some of the stuff you get to see late game is really sure. cool um, I think that the way that they incorporate um, the trinkets in this game, which are the moons instead of the stars or the sprites, uh, I feel that a little bit of the magic is lost in the way that, you know, you would go into a world in uh, Galaxy or 64 or Sunshine and you'd have like six or seven of whatever the objective is. Mm. Uh, and each one has its kind of unique... It, it feels important um, to the point that 
you know you would collect whatever the the particular object is and then you'd be taken out of the map and you go back in again Mm. obviously they can't do that with this one you have to keep playing because there's just so many fucking moons and so where i I feel there's a little bit of the the magic and the creativity that you would get with the other games for how they would give you these missions basically where here and you can see it and we spoke about this that you know instead of uh, having a cleverly named title for this particular objective it's just you picked, a, you found a moon. This moon yeah. was on the bridge. Moon, yeah, on the stairs. I tell you, the the names part, I'll di- I'll agree with to a certain extent. I, I, I think some of the names are, you could have come up with a pun there. And, well, there is that or something. But I also kind of find it amusing that they're so just. There's there's no attempts yeah. at all to. Yeah, it's just like, like it is. Yeah, moon. yeah. Sometimes they're it, it, like so little effort is put into the name of the moon that it's funny. Yeah. Um. With regards to the concept of it being a little bit less special or a little bit devalued or anything like that, I I tend to, I can see where you're coming from, but my personal thing would be to disagree in a certain respect because of the way that game is built. Like you said, we can't do the, there are the mission-based ones. So there's like the multi-moons, there's a few of those per level where there's kind of like, here's your objective to get the next thing. So there is a driving thing that goes through. So that's there if you want it. But um, the, the idea of there being so many of them or, or that maybe some of them are, are easier than others, um, making it a little bit less special or devaluing it, um, I actually went the other way on that. I, I thought it was brilliant. And for two reasons, uh, from a game design perspective, I thought it was brilliant. Um, the first one of them uh, being that much like any other Mario game, is the what the... Because you don't have... Because this... this game is structured that there are these giant worlds that you get completely lost in as opposed to go on world one one world one two really quickly Mm -hmm. in succession what the easier moons the ones that require less effort for us to get especially as seasoned mario players what they do is they teach you the rules in a certain respect you know what i mean yeah like so the old way Mario worked was that World 1-1, the accomplishment you got from World 1-1, was basically that it taught you the rules, whether it be physics or anything else, or obstacles or whatever. The rules by which World 1-2, the more difficult version of that, works. So I think the easier moons are your way of kind of, in the way that Zelda was very hands-off this year, about figure it out your fucking self. Mm-hmm. I think this was a real hands-off way of going, you might want to keep going by this rule so the the ones that you can find you can find some moons just by butt stomping the ground when the controller is vibrating pretty strong so that's teaching us right this time we're pointing you right at where you need to butt stomp so that later when there are much harder ones out, and there are some fucking blisteringly hard moons that they do not they are not even going to begin to tell you where to start looking for them but you already have in the back of your head that this is the kind of way they hide some moons. So maybe this is something I want to try. So I think from that perspective, it's a pretty cool way of doing it to have rather than endless tutorials or kind of going, uh, uh, look over here that they have an easier set of moons to teach you how to find the harder. Yeah. Moons. And that is like, and uh, there is um, truth to that. Yeah. There is still, I feel some moons where it's literally just hey there's a moon it's just and the, there and that's where the other part of this comes in for me and that's um that this is probably in its own way the best mario game 
for people of any age or skill level to get to the end of. Mm. So each world requires a certain amount of moons. It gates off the next world behind a certain amount of moons. There is usually just enough of the easy moons and then kind of like, we'll say a couple of the intermediate difficulty moons to get you through a world to get to the next world. So no kid is going to end up like endlessly frustrated because they can't get to the Sand Kingdom like the rest of their friends because there should be just enough of them to get them past. They're gone. Whereas you and I, because it both happened to us, we stayed around in the Sand Kingdom. I think both of us stayed there until we had over 30 moons Yeah, I, I was like, I'm not you know leaving I mean? this fucking place until so, I found like, as many I, th- as I think it's, it's, it's a real nice way of not having to, like, I'm playing the same Mario game as you. I don't have to drop difficulties or go into baby mode yeah. or anything like that. It's a real cool way but of But that's going. never really been the, the... The Nintendo thing has never been, like, difficulty modes. There's always exactly. Been... And this is, a, to me, a, another way of tackling that is that, like, with a kind of, even if platformers aren't really your bag, you could probably get a sizable way through the worlds with that level of skill. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so to me, I, I can see where if you want something to be, like, more challenging, especially now, because, like, in some respects, um, the last platformer of a sort that you've come off is Cuphead. Which is way at the opposite end of that same spectrum. Yeah, but they're completely you know I mean? different games. But you know what I mean? In as much as you're going from a game where all reward is completely challenging to a game where we'll hand you rewards if you're not very good because there will be stuff that is blatantly in front of you. But as well, like I, I there is stuff in that game that is maddeningly difficult. Here's the thing I think that my biggest issue with the game is because... It's still a platformer by all means, yeah. um, but it's the most about exploration yeah. that Mario has ever been. Yeah. And here's my biggest issue. There are parts of these worlds that are just not that interesting. And so, like, for example, the Sand Kingdom is massive, but mm-hmm. there's also not a lot happening for large portions of that environment. The same yeah. with the icy snow world. It's pretty... A lot of it is not that interesting. Now, when you actually go into, like, where yeah. you have... Um, the whatever fucking abominable snowman creatures you know it's not that it's all completely dull mm. but i do think that the the biggest issue i'm finding with the game is as i'm going through it and you know you are incentivized to just explore every nook and cranny of the yeah. game which is you know the key thing about um these kind of collector font type games like a banjo kazooie which yeah. is what i feel there's a lot of that i feel Except, coming off of this. like I, not entirely obviously yeah because it's it's like a real boil down version of that because, absolutely and more like there is the only like apart side. from the the moons there is only one other proper collectible yeah yeah like the coin actual coins are a whole different thing but there's so many goddamn that. moons that you know yeah. they make up for three different types of trinkets um so that's that's probably my my biggest biggest issue yeah, is that I, just I personally for me like I don't see like I I think when when you talk about like the the joy of exploring and things like that I think that's a very um subjective thing. Well, um, I mean, obviously everything we talk about here, but is but you know what I mean. Like it's not a it, there are certain things that are in in games that aren't subjective that are just down to a game design thing where you can go right that thing is fundamentally broken or that thing lacked imagination oh, no, no, or things n- like that. There's nothing broken in the game, but yeah, like, I do uh, think there are just some parts of the game. Certainly coming off of um, 
3D World, which... and Oh, there's a coming off Breath of the Wild. No, so coming off of 3D World. But the key thing, obviously, here is that they were all linear-driven levels where yeah. here each world is open world, basically. Mm. Um, but there are so many moments in that game that I was just like, oh, wow, that's such a cool thing. And there are moments in um, Odyssey in New York with the festival bit. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, like, I'm totally, like, with, with 3D world and land, with the exception of a couple of things, I kind of bounced off that. Like, I beat it, but I was like, that wasn't really that memorable to me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... And Odyssey, and Jack was the same. Um, Like, Jack was talking to me about, like, he just loves just rambling around the exploring thing. Like, we're... Yeah, Again, I, because I am... it's subjective, it's like, we're well the other way. And I No, think... I, am, I am enjoying exploring around. Yeah. And here's the thing, I'm by no means saying it's a bad game. It's a fucking great game. Yeah. But I'm not coming at this, and I'm not, I'm not leaving with the impression that this is, like... For me, if we're doing kind of Mario rankings, like, I've got... For the 3D ones, like, I've got... Um, 64 and Galaxy up here, and mm. then like the the next kind of below, I've got like Sunshine and Odyssey trait yeah. sharing that same space. I think it's probably second for me after 64 because I kind of came to Galaxy a few years after the fact, and after that, I, I imagine if I had been caught up in it at the time when it came out, I'd probably be it'd hold a little bit higher on the list for me just because of fond memories and things like that, but. Uh, no, that's again nothing wrong with Galaxy. This nah. is like very highly rated games, yeah. one and all. But I, I mean, um, I will say this: like the implementation of Cappy and like the extra uh, abilities and maneuverability of Mario is highly welcomed. And like flinging around the the, the, the tops of uh, New Donk City, like get, getting from one skyscraper to the other. Mm-hmm. Like I really like the yeah some the, of the, the new Cooper things that are in uh, here challenges. Mm. Like so, you find kind of quicker ways to get to I the just end say goal. The uh, the second Cooper running challenge on Wooded Kingdom can get in the fucking bin. Um, I don't know, because as long as you can do the long jump and then jump back on your cappy, you can get over that easily. I cannot. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> At least not yet. I know now that I have to do that because yeah. that's the route that's... that the fastest one takes. Yep. Um, because I absolutely walked the first challenge. Oh, sure. Um, and I, I usually walk the first one and I've walked the second one everywhere else so far, but yeah. That's besides the point. Um, so a good I, game. I, I just think that like... I really cannot be fucked to collect all 800 and whatever moons. I will collect every single um, one of them, and I will love every minute of it. I've, I've got... I need to play Wolfenstein, for God's sake, so... There's a couple of... Speaking of... We'll, we'll get to that in a mm. second. Um, but there's a couple of moons in that where I'm just like, I want to get it. I don't know if I will. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm capable. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, but um, hey, look, I, I am enjoying it. Um, I do think that this game is going to cause some headaches when it comes to Game of the Year. Yeah, it's um, my top four at the moment is just it's That's a, mess. A, a very specific number of yeah, four. Yeah, well, no, because <laughs> there are four games this year that have been like some of my favorite games of the last several years. Yeah. Um, anyone who listens into the show will know exactly just what that they are. We're, we're going to need to book some time I, off because <laughs> I know what number four of those four is. Yeah. But the other three, it's it's fucking. It depends on my mood, Un- almost. Un- until I play Wolfenstein, I know what my top three are, and Mario's not in that top three, so it's gonna be. Oh, that's harsh. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, fucking. Although I think I know what one of your top three is, and that's probably not finishing in our top three. Um, oh, you could. Well, yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I want to talk about Wolfenstein. Cool. Um. Before my uh, keep it loose on the spoilers because yeah, I won't. Yeah. I'm not mentioning any spoilers. Um, before my 
dearly departed PS4 kicked the bucket, I did actually manage to beat Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, over the weekend. I just sat down and I went, right, I'm beating this game now. I tried to beat it so I could talk to Barry about the, the whole thing because he had just beaten it before I met up with him at the weekend. And uh, I was unable to do so. But, uh, partly because this game is fucking hard as coffin nails. I did, uh, I think we, we spoke about that off air actually. He yeah. was uh, talking about the difficulty um, of it. Because it's, I think the best way, I said, I said it on the show last week, but the best way to describe why it's hard is because it's a game where everything about the way you're looking around and the way you look at different documents and the way the the mapping is done, the way the environments are done, makes you think that you should play it like any first-person shooter where you're, like, covering and coming out and shooting and picking your moment and stuff like that. Or you should actually play it like Doom. I was going to say, I'll be really curious to know if I try and play it like Doom. because No, you... That's... Because Doom has broken me from how I play first-person shooters. Dual wield and don't stop moving (laughs) is the best way to play it. Well, this is my game of the year, then. Um... And there was, I ended up dropping it um, just at the very end because I was like, I need to get through this game. I ended up dropping it down right to either the, the easiest or second from easiest because there is a, there is quite an onslaught towards the end of that game that was just annoying the shit out of me because I was like, I'm never going to platinum this game, so I don't need the trophies for beating <laughs> it at it. Like I was at the medium difficulty up until that point. It's like, I don't need the trophies for this, especially yeah. when I saw what you have to do at the top level difficulty. I was like, fuck this. But, um beat it anyway and it's a really special game yeah um the the marvel and everybody who's played this game seems to have remarked on this that bj blaskowitz wolfenstein's bj blaskowitz is one of the best in 2017 i can say with a straight face is one of the best written characters in video games, is an astonishing thing to say. If you had said that to me in the 90s when I was playing Wolfenstein on an MS-DOS computer, I would laugh in your fucking face. Tell you but what, I've already asked, why are you here, Time Traveller? Tell, tell me you this what, very obscure thing. When we're talking about Duke Nukem in 10 years' time... But it's a, it's equally ridiculous. Yeah. To, like, it's, it's that <laughs> level of ridiculous, you know? Because the Doom... Like, for... Like, it's great because in Doom... The Doom guy could not be less important as a character. No. You know what I mean? Like, and you don't want him to be. But what they, they've gone another way with BJ Vlaskovitz, and it's actually worked out great. He has a lot of personality. Like, everybody has kind of tipped the cap, but you kind of explore his past as part of this game. There's kind of a, a, a B narrative going through it where you well, keep kind of having a look at why he is the way he is and why he sees the world the way he does. Yeah, well, I think as well, like, I mean, this is... A game which is, from what I've seen, you know, parallel America, oh wait, the Nazis won. Yeah. And so, you know, and it isn't like that that hasn't been explored before in stories. Um, Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Doom is, here's a guy in space, oh wait, there's a portal to hell. You yeah. don't really need character development for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I can see why you would be in a position with a, a story like this so, where it's like, okay, we actually need to put character development into this so it starts off and like because there was good character development done in the first one. Oh yeah sure you actually get to and it's weird it well it was it was it's not so weird now because now a lot of companies are trying to catch on to the oh people actually still like campaigns and first person shooters mm. so let's think them out better um but at the time when that original wolfenstein reboot came out a few years ago it was 
weird to play a first person shooter campaign and actually care about the characters in it and not have it just as some kind of excuse to train you how to do the multiplayer you know which kind of like call of duty and battlefield had become the big well like i know you have the likes of a bioshock and things like that that upset the apple no i was gonna say idea, like because they tried to do something like that with black ops but they so missed the fucking yeah, but that's, like i mean I, I mean doing it well do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, so yeah, sure. you actually cared about all the characters and and that continues and it gets the story starts off interesting and and a couple of like horrifying things happen at the start and it settles down and you think okay well this was just the pretext for the you know what we're doing in this game and you think right because you know the way there was one or two cool moments in the first wolfenstein the bit where you have to choose at the start mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. horrifying yep. and a couple of other things that happen in that game are real unique moments so you think okay there's going to be a couple of ten pole moments here and it's just going to be good because Wolfenstein was good. The, the the New Order was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. So that's where it's going to go. And then, as pretty much anybody who's played the game will tell you, somewhere around the halfway point, it like the opening already isn't fucking about. I quoted last week, there was that article from Waypoint that said the opening of Wolfenstein 2 is not messing about. around, yeah. <laughs> right? And that pales in comparison to the kind of the the turning point of the narrative. Like, I wouldn't say a twist. I would say the turning point of the narrative that happens about halfway through. At which point there is, as I said last week, a succession of moments that last for about an hour. That is some of the best storytelling I've seen in a game this year. There is some stuff that happens. There is some stuff, basically. Where I was like, I I don't know if I've ever played a video game that has done this like this. Yeah. You know? Um, and then you play through and the momentum, one thing that's great about it is, is that the momentum, it always feels completely under control. So, you know how we talk often about my big problem with the original Bioshock is that you amp all the way up to this big reveal halfway through and then the rest of it feels like why why is this here you know that's my that's always been my big problem because the, ma- everyone's it, big the problem game with r- completely runs away with itself it completely mishandled the momentum of building to a moment and sustaining that but wolfenstein is great at big moment big paradigm shifting moment for the, the wolfenstein universe and then it gives you something smaller and something quieter and something more kind of personal to deal with and kind of almost to give you a breather to kind of process what the fuck just happened mm. you know so it might give you a mission back on the u-boat or something like that where you're just going to ramble around going that was super fucked up did that actually just happen and then it will do the ramp up again and the ending to the game is incredibly satisfying the final act of that game goes some places as well i would still say the thing i will be thinking about years from now is that thing that happens in the middle of the game but that isn't by any stretch to decry the things that happen in the final act of that game because i think in any other game that would be the what the fuck this is brilliant moment yeah um it's great the ending is very satisfying wolfenstein 3 is set up perfectly i already want to be playing that game right now that's how satisfying the ending to wolfenstein (laughs) 2 is and I can confirm what Jeff Gersman has said. The end credits music is abhorrent. Right. It's a cover and it's awful. Wait, okay. It is right Hang up on. there. And Jack, Jack said it on the show. 
it is right up there with My Chemical Romance's cover of Desolation Row being over the credits for Watchmen. That's how horrendous it is. Is it in that, like, um... What the fuck's the word I'm looking for? Um, Poncy, pretentious, slow, uh, mad world. I don't want to give it away. Okay. But it takes a song that's one thing, and it goes another way. And it's not a good way. Right. And it's real bad. Okay, It's cool. super bad. Well, you've given me motivation to it's finish. It's the only, like, if I was doing, game, so. if I was doing, you know, IGN do their plus plus minus in their review they give the score but they do the plus plus minus which is actually a tactic uh, or not tactic but uh, a thing that you do when you're grading essays as a teacher you do the plus plus minus to give them things that they're good at and things they need to work on yeah uh, my only minus would probably be dumb end credits music <laughs> like I know some people complain about how um, having to press square to pick stuff up is kind of a bit frustrating. Although with most items in the game, like ammo and stuff like that, if you run over it, you will pick it up. You can still hit square to pick it up quicker. But anyway, uh, yeah, I love Wolfenstein too. I really, really love that game. Cool. You should play it. I am absolutely, before we do the end of the issue, I will be finding a fucking weekend somewhere and just... Yeah. Say you could bash through it in about eight hours. Cool. I'd say, especially if you would be the sort that would be for the sake of the really really good story you'd be willing to drop a difficulty if you absolutely hit a wall. I, I have no intention of playing it on on a difficult setting so yeah because the to... difficult settings are difficult but yeah. it's not the same kind of thing like doom is where you want to see how much of a challenge you can handle um not least because there's an incredible story there to be had and i would recommend I was gonna say, there's no story to do it's, so it's you, one yeah. of the games where i i definitely would recommend actually um reading some of the like the the documents and stuff you pick up because it fills out the universe quite nicely especially when you kind of you've seen the visuals from the trailer of like the clansmen walking around uh talking to nazi troops in yeah, yeah. mainland us and now <laughs> what a like horrifying sight that is so there's stuff you can pick up and, and places you can explore so that I, fill I, out that universe i will just nicely. say this they they definitely heavily lean into the uh the marketing campaign in the actual game yeah and like there is some stuff that was clearly like it it must have been designed very early on for that game so like before world events made <laughs> uh nazis more prescient uh but yeah there's definitely some stuff in there where you're like man it is haunting how similar this fake world is to the actual one. Cool. There's a couple oh, of moments maybe not. like that in there. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, the stuff we've been playing now. Uh, let's move into the news. News on the mark. Mark, I, I, got a, I got an email in about this one. Or not, a, a message on the tweet machine. Did someone slide into your DMs? I can't remember who it was. It was some regular listener to the show who is a friend of ours i can't remember which one i apologize to whoever you are and it wasn't jack because jack was on the show we didn't cover this last week i had it in the news list but because i didn't have it as a link i completely skipped over it when we were running short on time uh, and that is uh, you probably would want to uh, laugh at this the call of duty loot box situation have uh, you seen this? yeah i i have i have uh, um, so this is our, our loot yeah. box corner for the week um, for those of you unaware, Call of Duty World War II came out uh, just this past Friday. By the way, I'd like to take this opportunity to remark on uh, how stellar a year it has been for games. That Call of Duty came out last Friday, and most people were unaware of that. You know? Like, usually, 
you can't move for Call of Duty, Call of Duty coverage on every website. Everyone's talking about it. Well, with all of that said, it's still, I think, uh, it's like the best-selling game on the PS4 this year. Mm. Which um, is upsetting, but yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a FIFA thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where there are habitual buyers of anything with the Call of Duty brand on it. But it's amazing how it doesn't have the kind of the... the it's not in the zeitgeist as much anymore. Oh, God, no. Not at all. Um, But yeah, so... <laughs> do you remember we had the conversation a year ago where... God, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle World War One in Battlefield with the sensitivity <laughs> that that horrifying <laughs> conflict warrants. Yeah, so... And look, how I, they pretty much... Battlefield stuck the landing, in fairness. I thought they handled it beautifully. I really enjoyed Battlefield 1. Here's the thing. Look, I've seen the gif of the loot box falling out of the sky. So you're in the middle of a battlefield in World War 2, which, by the way, not a jokey war. It's genuinely one of the most profoundly traumatizing things the human race has ever done to itself. You know what? When I think about World War 2, I don't think good times the war. And, yeah. And... All of a sudden, loot boxes come from parachute drops and drop in front of you and you open them up like they're fucking ultimate team cards right there in the battlefield. And perhaps, not perhaps actually, for sure, the most obnoxious thing about it is that anybody else that's in the battlefield at the time can see you do that. Yep. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Ubisoft reported that for uh, this year, um, I think it was over this year or last year, the, for the first time ever, they made more revenue off of microtransactions than actual sales mm. of games. So, I will yeah, be I will but, be the first to say I fucking hate the the concept of microtransactions yeah, in big scale my games. My thing here, Mark, isn't the they're bad for business or anything like that. My thing is put them in a menu or something <laughs> like that. Do you know? Don't be there, like, at the, uh, I don't know, Operation Market Garden or something. I don't know which battles are in uh, this game, but at Operation Market Garden, you're in the middle of this horrifying, tense conflict. All of a sudden, boom, 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 well, you know what? giant cards. Go fucking one more. Like, when you shoot a guy down and his face is half hanging off, he, at that same time, offers you... An option of three different things that you can pick from as his like last skin dying of this wish. Blown off face for one forty nine. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna be that obnoxious and just insensitive to the the, the source material that you're working with, go the whole fucking hog, my friend. But uh, by most accounts, it seems to be a reasonable. Um... For most accounts, the fucking thing hasn't been working. Well, I mean the the campaign. Yeah, the, the campaign and people seem to be quite enjoying. It's actually got some decent writing in it. God oh, forbid. Good for them. Um, moving on, Grand Theft Auto Five <laughs> in the news again. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Five is officially the best-selling game of all time in the United States. Uh, now let's put into perspective here. So the game that was the the best-selling game of all time in the US was Wii Sports. Mm-hmm. The reason that that was the case for Wii Sports... Because you fucking got it in the box. Exactly. How many fucking copies of this game have they sold? So, allow me. Azure. Uh, from Eurogamer here. Another day, another Grand Theft Auto Five sales <laughs> milestone. But this one's a biggie. GTA Five is now the best-selling game of all time in the United States. Rockstar's open world has sold more copies and earned more money from sales than any other game ever. That is across the pond. just... Parent 
company Take-Two reported another strong set of financial results today on the back of GTA V success. Uh, next year, they'll oversee the launch of open-world game Red Dead Redemption 2 and uh, a highly anticipated new title from one of 2K's biggest franchises, Borderlands 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, we don't know what's going on with that, by the way. Nah. Isn't that weird that that game is still supposedly out next year and it has not shown up at, like, E3? Well, like, the original Borderlands went through what could be described as development hell. Yeah. And I, the... the the issue that Borderlands has at this point is that you've kind of, like, you play an hour of it, and you know exactly what you're getting with that kind of game, you know? Mm. Um, like, I really like a lot of things about that Borderlands universe, just the general look and feel of it. But after a couple of hours, I am so just like, yep, I've had my feel of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, GTA Five has sold a lot of copies. It is just, uh, like, an, an absolute phenomenon uh it's got to be said um like just looking at <laughs> north america uh for Wii sports by the way because the, the the statement didn't have the um the exact breakdown of figures but Wii sports uh as of today currently stands at uh 41.36 million copies of that game sold at retail also also keep in uh mind that <clears throat> like, does this report at all include digital sales? Uh, I don't know. It just says sales here, so it might be both. Because if it doesn't include digital sales... Oh, then... then, then... <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I don't I didn't want to think about that, man. Um, but yeah, I think it's fair to say that Take-Two and Rockstar are doing okay. Mm-hmm. IO Interactive, who were uh, great fans of here on the show... Uh, we've been kind of watching them quite closely. They they broke away from Screenix. They they bought back the Hitman IP from them, and now they've confirmed that they're going forward. IO Interactive has confirmed that there's a new Hitman game in the works, to the surprise of absolutely nobody. We're making great progress. Uh, IO Interactive CEO Hakan Abrak said the next. Uh, said of the next Hitman in a post celebrating the launch of the Game of the Year edition of uh, Hitman Season 1, I think a lot of people are calling it, with exciting new features and some franchise firsts, which we can't wait to tell you about. That's all the news we're getting uh, for the moment, though, it seems. We don't plan to start talking about it until some point in 2018. My guess is E3 next year, we'll see the kind of teaser for the first episode of uh, Season 2 of Hitman, and that'll probably arrive Christmas or January. Possibly. Um, because that's the thing that's great about the way they do with the episodic content. Not only is it great that we have enough time to delve into each of those maps, but also they can start giving us episodes before the last one is completely done. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, because um, we've got the PSX event, and then there's... <laughs> we have been told very much, by the way, because I don't know how much you were keeping tabs on Paris Games Week last week. Uh, everyone has been told, keep your expectations low for PSX. Yeah, I imagine it'll just be a follow-up of a lot of the stuff that we've already seen. I think the only thing we're getting substantial new information on is Dreams. Oh, yeah. Um, But then after that, there's, I think, maybe like a couple of PAX events, and then it's pretty much just nothing to E3 again. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, looking forward to more of that Hitman game. Like, pretty much, if they had just kept putting out that exact Hitman game, just with different maps, boom. That's all they really need to do. Um, speaking of uh, 
developers, here's one that is, uh, they're not having a great time at the moment, or at least their employees aren't. Telltale Games has laid off 25% of its staff, uh, which is about 90 people. Uh, in a statement addressing the move, the Episodic Games Focus Studio, perhaps best known for Walking Dead and Minecraft Story Mode, a uh, series of adventure games, said that the redundancies were part of a comprehensive company restructuring and uh, aimed to make it more competitive as a developer and publisher of groundbreaking story-driven gaming experiences with a high emphasis on high quality in the years ahead. Um, now, I don't want to uh, give too many hot takes because, you know, 90 people um, lost their jobs. Lost their jobs just before Christmas, which is awful. Um, though that is part and the parcel of the the video games industry that just companies reshuffle yeah. depending on projects. They balloon and they trim down, and it's yeah. just. Um, I I will say like some companies have gotten better at that in recent years. That what they'll do instead is like divert resources. It's like okay, this studio is done with this game. While they're waiting to ramp up to their next game, we're going to move a bunch of people to help finish other games yeah. under the now, umbrella. I do wonder, because we, I think we spoke about this, I, I can't remember if it was after E3 or what event, where it, it seemed like Telltale had about six different projects on the go. Hmm. Um, and we were wondering, like, are they biting off just a little bit too much more than they, they can do? Yeah, should they not I, focus I think that on... Was... God. A couple of projects and just get that the fucking first, engine I think the working. The first time we talked about that would be like well over a year ago on the show, where um, I think it was when they announced the Marvel one, where we we're just like another one, and they like what they should be doing is having a team working on that engine. Yeah. And then their 2.0 version of the engine came out with Batman, and it was worse. Uh huh. Um, but what it's down to, if you read between the lines on this, is that they hired a new CEO about six months ago. Um, and one of the things that a, a CEO will do at any company is when they come in, they've got their direction. Oh, yeah. They've got what they want to do. And pretty much the first thing they're going to do is, like, if they're going to spend money doing what they want to do, they've got to trim money. Yeah. And they he probably looked at where Telltale was quite bloated. And, like, this had, like, they had bloated so much that there was only, there was only a handful of people working on that in that studio when they got huge off walking dead and things like that. And they just kept adding and kept adding and kept adding mm. and maybe weren't using the resources the way they should have our engine talk being kind of uh, typical of that. Um, the other thing that uh, I, I found quite interesting, uh, I listened to kind of funny games daily with uh, Greg Miller and it was him and Andrea Renee were hosting it this week. She of uh, what good games and they were talking about how so Telltale Games is very much local to the San Francisco area so a lot of people like Greg Miller and other people like that know a lot of people from Telltale who they're just they live around everyone hangs out all that sort of thing and what he had heard from non-specific people and there were some of them who were cut during this some of them who had left before and some of them were still there he wasn't naming names but he said apparently for a long long time now it's not been a good place to work um, there's constant infighting about what the direction of the company should be. He said that all the problems people talk about with Telltale Games, they know. Yeah. It's just that perhaps, and this is me speculating, people who were actually able to make those decisions weren't concerned with that as much as they were concerned with signing deals. Yeah, sure, sure. Marvel and things like that. It's that kind of thing where, like... While- make money now, fix later. You know, might have been um, 
And and they're yeah, at the like point I'm, now where I, they I, have bitten off more than I'm looking at like a bunch of different disparate pieces of information here and trying to find what the thing that ties them all together is. Yeah. Uh, and that would sound like I I think maybe the CEO here is let's trim down so that when we make a game, we make it well, and we don't have plate spinning over here plate spinning over here yeah and maybe we can fix our engine as we're developing smaller uh more focused games because looking at the the last paragraph here from your gamers so the fifth and final episode of telltale's guardians of the galaxy was released um which it says today but that would have been a few days ago mm-hmm. uh, along with episode four of minecraft story mode season two the studio says that it's currently announced upcoming projects which include a second se- uh, season of the wolf among us and a final season of the walking dead will not be impacted yeah they've, which doesn't they've insisted me. that all active projects that are announced will not be affected nor will the the dates they have alleged they will hit. yeah and that doesn't surprise me and it absolutely should be look we do not sign anything else at the moment until we have these projects finished until we know exactly where we are as a company what our direction is yeah um and (laughs) fix that fucking engine yeah and i want them to get better because like i know you kind of bounce off because there's not really that much gameplay to them not for me but But i can they're wholly appreciate almost every single like pretty much every single one i've ever played is very well written uh, I love the stories in those Telltale games, and uh, the only reason I don't play every single one of them is because not every single one of them works. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to say, "Oh, here's a playable Guardians of the Galaxy adventure," but I have no confidence that it's going to work if I download it. Well, I definitely think that the the Batman one really was the that's the one that hurt me because yeah. that was such a good story. I really like the story of that Batman game, and it was all over the place technically. Mm. It really was, alas. Anyway. But I mean, obviously, like any time there's a big, uh, big bunch of layoffs, um, you just see Twitter kind of like with people saying, "Hey, we're hiring, we're yeah, hiring." Ken Levine, so. uh, among yeah. the popular game developers, who was like, "Anybody who wants to try something different, if they've been let go from Telltale, slide into the DMs." So good guy, Ken Levine strikes again. But uh, yeah, hopefully those people, you know, land on their feet uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, Wolfenstein Two which we mentioned earlier in the show gets a, a big update this week and the first thing it does is to add the vault well it opens the vault so there's a vault on your german u-boat in it and there's a thing that uh for the first week uh, when, if you're playing the campaign you would pause and there was one of the options on your menu and it was just a countdown timer to something so here's some details for you uh, the vault is behind a big door on the U-boat Eva's Hammer, Wolfenstein 2's hub area. The door has a countdown timer on it since launch, but it's officially now open for business. Um, there's uh, some files you can inspect scattered about the place and a terminal to access from the terminal. You can play 10 new combat simulations, uh, collectively called the SAS Machine. These combat simulations amount to an arcade mode of sorts uh, with leaderboard functionality for high scores. Which is a pretty cool little kind of competitive yeah. Wolfenstein 2 is not something I would have thought of. Uh, also unlocked is access to episode 0, which is the first episode of the Chronicles add-on pack. You can play this if you pre-ordered the game or if you bought the season pass with it. Um, meanwhile, the update adds Xbox One X uh, support for 4K re- resolution and dynamic resolution scaling. And fixes a number of problems with the PC version. You can find the full patch notes on Bethesda's website. Can I talk about this next one? Because this is just... Yeah. But just to say about that, um, that's cool that um, the the whole kind of policy from Bethesda on this Wolfenstein 2 has been perfect for me because they were like, we didn't want to add multiplayer. 
we weren't going to just add multiplayer to try and get more money out of people. We thought this was a single player game and anything we did to add multiplayer to it would distract from the game and dilute the resources available for the single player campaign. That's a brilliant move. And then go on, well, if you want, no big deal. Here's some other stuff if you wanted as well. Yeah. Continue to add to that game, continue to improve it. Good work there for Machine Games and Bethesda. Now, Mark, uh, were you... You weren't on the... This is the first week you were gone where this story uh, came out about Argos. Uh, to be fair, I wasn't even fully aware of it. Because, yeah, so Argos yeah. announced two weeks ago that if you pre-ordered an Xbox One X with them they and you lived in the greater London area, you would get it at one minute past midnight the night it was released. You want to talk about this, so I will take a sip of my Pepsi and so, I'll let you talk. The retailer kept its promise. To there were caveats to the... For the working man. There were caveats to the offer. As a trial scheme, it was only available to London Zones 1 to 5 and pre-order slots were limited. Still in light of today's Amazon UK Xbox One delivery debacle, which I haven't seen, but I presume... They absolutely <laughs> fucked it. <laughs> I was going to ask... A, in, in a succinct summary, they fucked it. I was going to ask you a technical term and you provided, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth highlighting Argos's success. Periscope broadcaster Alex Pitt hits is what looks like the name uh, streamed his xbox one getting <laughs> Sorry. streamed uh his xbox one getting delivered on the dot at 1201 it's, it's probably petite but you went petite no it's not petite because i know what petite looks like because alex is... petits i'm sorry emmanuel petit is how yeah. you say petit all right i'm not saying you spelled it right yeah um yeah it's, it's like th- who spelled kira with a cage just off, like. fucking I don't know, like, it, it actually seems perfect that a very, like, niche idea, which only serves, like, a fraction of the percentage of the people playing Xbox Ones, uh, would get a console that is very niche and is only designed for a small percentage of people playing Xbox Ones. So it does kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, it's a gimmick. Whatever. I don't care. It's a stupid console. Yeah. and it's, well, only a, it's not a stupid console, but it is a stupid console. It's only a half-step console, so this is not a thing that logistically could possibly work like if a new PlayStation, like a like PS5 got announced. It's only because I suspect this is a console that is not in particularly high demand that this was a no, thing they were able to it's do. Like, it's like a fucking Xbox One Elite controller. Yeah. You know? It is so, like, for the 5%. Yeah. Um... Moving on now, speaking of uh, Xbox One X, I hope you have a good data plan if you are planning on getting an Xbox One X, Mark. Have you seen the size of some of these downloads? Uh, You know what? I'm going to open up this link and I'm going to have a look. If you plan... I'm going to read this. (laughs) If you plan on downloading games onto your fancy new Xbox One, be ready for some truly gargantuan file sizes. Woof! Fueled by 4K Xbox One X updates, game downloads on Microsoft's new console push and sometimes exceed 100 gigabytes. Gears of War 4, a game from over a year ago, will be 103 gigabytes. Do you know what I call that file size... I call that an obnoxiously large file size. Halo 5 is 98.26 without its 4K update, which adds another 15 gigs on top of that. Forza 7 is 95.65 gig. Quantum Break is 83.7. Um, yeah. 
Oh, by the way, also, if you want to download, because you know the way that's a TV show as well? Yeah. Uh, that's an additional 75. Uh, you know, I'm delighted that this obnoxiously bloated console has obnoxiously bloated. I mean, I suppose in one respect is like you're not getting those high-end 4K-enabled consumer electronic products unless you probably already have like top-of-the-line internet, top-of-the-line television. You would think. Yeah. You would hope. Yeah. Um. That's nuts, <sighs> if you ask me. Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Because what is it? Like... Um, yeah, the Xbox One X comes with a terabyte of storage, which if you said to, like, me <laughs> so, or you... less than 10 games. If you said to me, like, five years ago, oh, a terabyte, oh, that's not a lot. Mm. I, you know, I'd have looked at you like, what? Like, Arkham, uh, Arkham Knight, which came out two years ago? Three years ago? Uh, two, the time we started this thing, two years so ago, two years ago. Um, that... With all its expansions, and think about how much DLC there was for that game. That was a fair amount. With all its patches, all its DLC, everything like that, I think on my hard drive is only about 70-odd gigs. <laughs> so that, that'll um, that'll put it in perspective. Yeah, there. I'm going to stick to Cuphead. Mm. Uh, Nintendo news here briefly. Uh, Nintendo uh, Nintendo's game, Super Mario Odyssey, we spoke about it I'm for aware quite of a while, uh, is now officially the fastest-selling game in Mario history. Uh, Nintendo has trumpeted the success of Super Mario Odyssey by releasing new sales stats for its 3D platform around the world. In Europe, Nintendo revealed Odyssey to be the fastest-selling Mario game ever released, beating the previous record holder of Galaxy 2, released for the huge install base of the Wii. I was going to say, this speaks volumes to how well the Switch is doing. It speaks, not only that, but like the, the people who buy the Switch buy the games that the attach rate like you're pretty much guaranteed like a first part like a first party nintendo game pretty much everyone well as a good look who are the five people that have bought a switch not with the attention of buying breath of the wild and mario odyssey i know right i, I still think my favorite thing and i brought it up on the show last week is do you remember that stat that we touted that for a while after the switch came out more people owned uh breath of the wild on switch than they than people uh, they switches. switches yeah like presumably people that were so excited to get a switch that they brought breath of the wild and were waiting yeah until the switch was back yeah. in stock i did that for about five minutes yeah um like i mean there is the one person who had the club clairvoyant like futuristic abilities to know hey fucking doom and wolfenstein will be out on this switch at some point mm-hmm. i'm gonna wait till then um but yeah another great i think one of the stories going into game of the year this year is nintendo's 2017 has been amazing i'll tell you what right everyone was you like turn they were like oh you know there's zelda but pff, whatever else you yeah. could easily and i mean very easily make a legitimate case that the top three games of this year were all on the switch yeah, you could, yeah. and I would entertain that argument very yeah. much. Um, it is like it's a, it's a powerhouse. That thing. like it's amazing what that thing. No, has no, done. the Xbox One X is a powerhouse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, indeed. Uh-huh. Um, the final new, the final bit of news, and this is interesting to me because I think it has a domino effect uh, on the games industry. If well, you yeah, allow if you go in- into any GameStop, yes, if you'll allow my indulgence here, and that is uh, Funko, the the company that makes the the in. The figurines with the inf- the inflated heads. Everywhere. The endless. Everyone, if the- you, bu- there's a good chance, or sorry, there's not a very good chance that if you're a gamer, you've never heard of Funko Pops. You know what I mean? Yeah. The kind of two go hand in hand. Um, they had their IPO this week. Mark, you're familiar with IPOs? Uh. Okay. So if a company starts up, generally speaking, it's uh, a couple of private investors own a company. 
and it builds up and builds up and builds up to the point where they go to do an IPO and that's the point at which you make it's an initial public offer and that's the point at which you make your company public by oh, selling so got, shares at a price on the stock so you market got the stock markets right actually. yeah yep. so you'll remember I think the closest parallel for us to understand is do you remember when WWE yes. went public yes thank so, you for putting it in a way that I can understand anytime buddy <laughs> so yeah this is the point at which they go public uh, some companies will go right okay here's all of our shares it's a public it's a completely publicly owned company no one will own uh, an overwhelming majority sometimes you can have like world wrestling federation did where they sold off 49% of the company i believe and 51% is held collectively by the McMahons so that no one can ever take the company yeah, over yeah. by buying out the shares um so a couple of companies in like the last decade have had blistering blistering success on their ipos the 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 google ipo I think it's still the standard bearer for how crazy those things get. Um, Twitter had an outrageous IPO, I think, as well. But we've had, um, in recent years, we've had some IPOs of big companies, big of-the-moment companies that have kind of underwhelmed a bit. Not to this extent, but like uh, in one of the, the articles I read, they were talking about how Snapchat went public. Snap Incorporated, I think, is the name of the company. And that kind of underwhelmed a little bit. But listen to this. Um, when it was first announced the IPO for Funko was hailed as a big deal but it didn't turn out to be the case with stock dropping 40% in one day <laughs> Fucking on hell. the first day of trading <laughs> the collectible toy giant certainly has profits and the interest to do well and the IPO initial public offering in Wall Street par- parlance uh, had a lot of the blue chipper backup like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. So that's kind of when there are big companies who are talking up how interested they are in the company. Kind of when you hear that someone like JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you become more interested in wanting shares of that company as well. Yeah. Um, PR positioned the company uh, as Funko's core competencies are what retail dreams are made of. Sounds like a no miss. Because when you look at it, you're like, everybody buys those figures. Mm-hmm. Those figures are fucking everywhere. I have some. Um, but as ICV2 reports, last Thursday's offering was a dud. The initial offering range was supposed to be between $14 and $16, according to Seeking Alpha. But the IPO price was dropped. And this was before it started trading. It suddenly dropped to $12. In trading on the first day, shares then dropped to $7.07, with a further drop to $7 even on Friday. The first day drop is the biggest single drop since 2005, and the worst for an IPO raising $100 million or more since 1995, according to Wall Street Journal. As it stands, Funko is now valued at $325 million, far less than the $555 million valuation that it would initially have netted. This doesn't mean bad times for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> The rest of this is trying to kind of spin it positively for them. But uh, a couple of the things that had kind of um, contributed to this, Mark, is that there's been a lot of prattle in Financial Times, things like that, places that would talk about companies that are going public, um, about questionable accounting practices going on at um, Funko, whether the financials that they're displaying publicly are a true reflection of what the financials are actually like right which is something that's a 
big, like it's done, but it's a big no-no, you know, lying to the investors straight out of the gate. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the company has debts of around $300 million, from what I remember reading. Two to $300 million is around what their debt is like. So if you were to be someone who is interested in buying a majority stake in the co- in the company, You're buying that debt is now your debt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's some people who deal in that, that like will see the value of, okay, if we buy the company out of debt now, then it's all profit from here on out if they think they can make that much money. Um, but yeah, it's a bad time for Funko. And the reason I, I bring it up is because, as you pointed out at the very start of this story, um, you can't go into a game retailer without seeing them. And the, the important thing about that is, as we've discussed in the show before, um, games retailers like GameSpot, or GameStop, should I say, uh, and places like that don't actually make a hell of a lot of money or I think I don't think really any money at all anymore on new release games no no what it's they make what money you is it. it's the guarantee yep um, used games is a huge part of it and hardware I'd, you know what I'd be really curious to see is how much money they make off of insuring your game for four ninety five or whatever it is oh that's one of the like there's one of their corporate directors like make sure you get that game protection because most people trade in the game before the game protection period is up so like I I didn't mean to but the look that I, I gave when it was like hey would you like to um, you know get game protection for your copy of Mario Odyssey it's like it's a fucking cartridge what, what? Yeah, I can. <laughs> I, I like in some respects, I can see why some people would be tempted to do it with a disc. Absolutely. If it was a disc, not only a disc, but a disc for a game that they were never going to trade. Fine. GTA Five, for yeah. example. Fine. If you want to pay two euro to not worry for the next two or three years about that disc, more power to you. Sure. But yeah, cartridges, silly. <laughs> but um, the thing about that is right. So even. I don't know if you've noticed this, but going into a lot of game retailers lately, I've noticed, and I imagine the digital future is uh, has a part to play in this, the size of the used sections in those shops is shrinking. Well, it's the the, the size of, of the actual kind of space for games compared to the space yeah. for but tats. Even, yeah, but even like there used to be racks and racks of the used games. But and yeah, now yeah, there's a couple of bins. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a combination of digital future... Um, competitors with better trade-in prices CEX. like CEX. Um, and then, like you said, because the profit margins are much higher, a lot of these, like games, uh, GameStop, have moved into doing kind of nerd tat, yeah. basically. And one of the key kind of, like, cornerstones of that is a wall of Funko. Funko. Yep. Because they're 15 quid a head. They're so diverse that no matter what your pop culture interest is, there will be a... Funko Pop for it. Yeah. I wonder that for... Well, because I... And they have that, that comic book collector thing of, like, there are chase ones that are harder to find yeah. and things like now, that. Yeah, I'm, now, I'm no... Like, I my understanding of business is, is completely just, like, doesn't exist. That's um, why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. So, cheers for that. But I think, for me, maybe what doesn't help as well is... So, I'm presuming that, you know, GameStop as a company will just buy all of these Funko Pops for however much and then they sell them for whatever they want to. But for... Well, it's not quite as cut and dry on that, but it's kind of, yeah, they buy them wholesale. Yeah. There's a certain amount of markup um, that is kind of half based on the recommended retail price and half based on what value will the market pay. Sure. Um, But I would still imagine that if someone is going to buy a Funko, like, 
I'd I'd more imagine someone is doing that in a Forbidden Planet or a comic book shop or somewhere where that kind of nerd but collection side of things. About Not it, saying like, that people don't buy them in GameStops, obviously. Yeah, but my, and maybe that will grow my, over time as people are more aware of it. My my point uh, to that would would be look at how many comic book shops there are relative to GameStops. Well, obviously. There is a GameStop in pretty much any mid-sized town upwards, you know what I mean? Large towns get multiple ones. Whereas you would have to go, like, from here, where we are, and, like, this is a pretty big-sized town here. We got, like, for Ireland, anyway. We got, like, I think 50 or 60,000 people living here in this town. Um, And we have no comic book shop. The nearest comic book shop is Dublin City Centre. You know? Mm. So, yes... For the people who are doing the exclusive figures and stuff like that, yeah, they'll go all the way into Forbidden Planet. But for where it sometimes the real money is, which is like a ma coming in to buy a present for the kid, yeah, or boyfriend who's in buying Call of Duty and wants to buy like a, I don't know, um, like a like a Black Widow one for the girlfriend or or something like that. Like there's a range of there's all sorts of ranges. Like, if they want to buy something for their girlfriend while they're in buying a game, or if you want to get something as a stocking filler, or if you just want to get something for yourself, you know? It doesn't feel like... If you're coming in already, Mark, and you're saying, right, I'm already spending 85 quid on this game, plus it's season pass, what's another 15 quid on a Funko Pop? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's that kind of mindset. So, so I imagine... Anyway. And for games, for GameStop, if you look at that, like, you looked at the merch that's in there, like, apart from that, it's a real... Like, apart from the Funko, the Funko is the one solid thing where you go, right, that's a u- pretty much universally popular thing. It's that and Everything else is real... Well, it's that and there's the t-shirts and what yeah. we Christmas jumpers. And the, even them, the, even they are a real grab bag yeah. in terms of quality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see if trouble persists with Funko. This doesn't mean that, like, all of a sudden, all Funko Pops are going to be in bargain bins everywhere the company's going to shut down but if things don't straighten out we could see a bit of a knock-on effect happening here uh, that might be a little bit of trouble did um going back to to wwe did they not also have like a really good start and then it dropped off the face of the earth after a, mm. a day or two yeah that was the, like vince made himself a billionaire basically yeah. and that's where he, he the billionaire stick started um yeah but the idea is you make an initial public offer, that's where you get huge, you get the PR, and that keeps the interest and investment going for long enough for you to put together a long-term plan for the money that you just raked in. Stocks are really dumb. Um, yeah, that, yeah, That's yeah. my hot take. But uh, anyway, that's going to do it for the news this week. Uh, and we are going to hand it over to Mark this week, who has taken uh, a beloved game from the past. That's what we do in the book club. We talk about an old game that either you should pick up for the first time if you've never played it, or maybe revisit if it's been a while. And uh, Mark this week is going to talk about uh, a franchise that uh, kind of characterized a lot of people's late secondary school, early university experience from our generation, and that's Guitar Hero.
The Guitar Hero series is a series of music rhythm games first published in 2005 by Red Octane and Harmonix and distributed by Activision, in which players use a guitar-shaped game controller to simulate playing lead, bass guitar and rhythm guitar across numerous rock songs. Players match notes that scroll on screen to coloured fret buttons on the controller, strumming the controller in time to the music in order to score points and keeping the virtual audience excited. The game attempts to mimic many features of playing a real guitar, including the use of fast finger hammer-ons and pull-offs, and the use of the whammy bar to alter the pitch of notes. Most games support single-player modes, typically a career mode to play, play through all the songs in the same game, and both competitive and cooperative multiplayer modes. With the introduction of Guitar Hero World Tour in 2008, the game includes support for a four-player band including vocals and drums. The series initially used mostly cover versions of songs created by Wave Group Sound, but most recent titles feature soundtracks that are fully master recordings and in some cases special re-recordings of the songs. Later titles in the series feature support for downloadable co content in the form of new songs. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff there, but that introduction would go on forever. Mm. Uh, yeah, Guitar Hero. It's So, like, the idea of peripherals on consoles... It's has... not new. It's been no, around for a long time. It's got a patchy history, to say the least. Um, like, for every guitar hero, there's a an eye toy. You know? Uh, oh, for correct. every Wii Fit Pad, there's a SOCOM headset. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like, you could go back to the original NES... And the like amount gun. of like party power glove, the the fucking power glove. Um, yeah, th that's that, the power of glove, man. That one has a whole bunch of peripherals that are just mm. utter bollocks. But this idea that you've already got the box, and now you must have this gimmicky item that you plug in to help you play this one game, so that we can ring an extra god knows how much. Money it sounds like it should be a total disaster. Mm. But. But there, something there, about there was two series. There was the Guitar Hero series, and then it was Buzz. Yeah. But the Buzz one was slightly less cumbersome in terms of the third-party peripheral. Yeah. And I think now we've gotten to the point where that has been so refined with Jackbox. Yeah. That I think they have really helped kill the peripheral dead. <laughs> but let, let's talk about this particular peripheral. Something about who doesn't want to be a rock star, Dave? Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> part of this is the aspirational thing. Who aspires to be doing keepy-uppies with a stupid football on a dodgy webcam? Exactly. So the eye toy was not an aspirational peripheral. Yeah. Who aspires to be, I, I don't know, some people do aspire to do dodgy voice commands into a PS2 on SOCOM. But like you said, the rock and roll dream is one a lot of people and a lot of gamers can definitely relate to um and like you know definitely for, something you spend like a a, a, a portion of your adolescence flirting with for, for sure exactly for me being in a band during my teenage years and young adult wasn't years, nearly as exhilarating as guitar hero <laughs> you could make the argument 
depending on the gig, depending on the turnout, it's a fair point, maybe. Um, I remember, I never played the original Guitar Hero, and I still have never played the original Guitar Hero, but I remember mm. going around to a friend of a friend's house, um, and then just going, hey, we're going to play Guitar Hero, and me was thinking, what the fuck is a Guitar Hero? <laughs> and they put this fucking... A drinking game. Uh, yeah. And they gave me this plastic guitar, which, you know, originally thought, is this like something that, you know, those kind of um, plastic toys that you get for like a five-year-old, those kind of plastic guitars, plastic drum kits Mm -hmm. that just have like built-in notes and whatever. And I was looking at this thinking, what am I dealing with here? And I can't remember what song it was. I I can't actually remember. I'm going to have a a Guitar Hero 2 listings because as soon as I see it, I'll see exactly what the song was um set listing guitar hero 2 where oh yeah it was hangar 18 as soon as i saw hangar 18 by megadeth and i was like wait i actually i i I play this and i'm following along like notes and i'm hitting these notes and you know i'm actually you know not exactly the same way that you would use a, a plectrum to hit a guitar string and make a sound but the, the concept is there yeah and you know and it registers this kind of feedback from you from to the screen and, and back and you know the song is playing and like this is fucking amazing yeah this is incredible yeah um and then when you add like another person who is on bass as well and you know certainly when you got to world tour and then when you had uh rock band would also bring along the drum kit as well and you got vocals because you know you had sing star you had basically karaoke and mm-hmm. you had say like lips you had lips and you had if you want to extend it out to say like dance dance revolution in terms mm-hmm. of you know performing an action that you registered on the screen but it's not gameplay assaults it's yeah. in, that is with, with it's dance. play it's play yeah, yeah. Um, and then by the time you get to say uh, a world tour and you know, I, I had a whole fucking Christmas day that was just spent playing guitar hero world tour mm. with me and my actual band members playing, you know, fake instruments. Um, it certainly not as much now the, the, the influence and the impacts of, uh, these rhythm based games just isn't there anymore. But back in the, the late, uh, 20 like 20 from 2008 to like 2010 2011 certainly from when i was at university in 2007 onwards 27 onwards um you couldn't get enough of these fucking games Mm. you know i think one of the things um that helped to catch on so well is that um playing guitar it's not the most difficult instrument in the world but it requires you know practice and learning and things like that and the way Guitar Hero boils down playing a guitar to the little switch and the buttons and later the whammy bar makes it a very easy game, not only for gamers to pick up and feel like they're relatively proficient at guitar, but for people, the casual gamers, that that kind of silent, huge cash cow of people who don't play every game, but a game that is kind of broken down enough for them to get on board with like a Wii Sports as we talked about earlier on um, they'll get on board with it. and this was one where you could crack out Guitar Hero at just a night out like a house party or something like that and people who don't have a PlayStation at home 
or don't have an Xbox who do, who aren't playing games all day long, they could figure it out pretty quickly and have a lot of fun with it. Mm. Um, was this a thing where like for you was this like like you said there were there was sometimes like on a Christmas day or whatever you're playing a lot of it was this like a did this feel like event gaming in as much as let's have a night of cans play Guitar Hero like what was the the kind of like because that was my experience of Guitar Hero at the start was like let's all get trashed and play Rain and Blood <laughs> <laughs> And who who hasn't had a night? I like mean, that, you come know? on. Um, okay, so Guitar Hero Three, um, I had solely for the purpose of I just want to play this game and I want to get good at this game. Mm. Um, and you know, there was a period of time where I was pretty much playing nothing but this game, like not with anyone else. Just I just want to play this game. Um, uh, you know, uh, I got to a point where I got pretty good at Stricken by Disturbed. Um, and I got pretty good at um, Hot for Teacher by Van Halen until the solo at least mm. I never got to what I would say expert level levels of proficiency um, but no it wasn't it wasn't like a, a party game for me it was solely I wanted to have this game but I did because again I was at university so we did have events where it was you know a party type game mm. and as noted um, we had Christmas where there was about 10 people or so in my house and there was nothing like seeing one of your friends from work who has this kind of awkward kind of stature about him doing the uh, the kind of scat bit in um, Freak and Leash by Korn. Mm. Yeah. There's I've something seen about some those things. games that's fun. Like, like the, that's another like and that kind of segues into the next thing I want to talk about and that's the curation of these playlists which I think are uniformly across Guitar Hero and across Rock Band as well are just expertly handled in as much as they give you a little bit of everything um, definitely Guitar Hero skews more towards because it's Guitar Hero skews more towards different forms of rock Yeah, and Rock Band kind of Rock Band is the one that really diversifies in terms of genre well I think um, part of it is just there are only so many songs until yeah. you just you run the world dry but it, it's cool like playing something that's completely like outside like i would not be a metal guy at all but i had a lot of fun trying to play metal games on these or playing something that's so like having like the idea before guitar hero arrived i'm looking at guitar hero 3 which is the one i played the most the idea of having a game where you play um, Holiday in Cambodia by the Dead Kennedys is a fucking weird thing because that is a weird band, you yeah. know. Well, here's the thing as well. Like, one of the, the big things as well is that this was around the time where I, you know, I was in a band and I was my interest in music was at its most curious. Like, I was just trying to consume as much music and as much different and new music that I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And it started a few years early with Tony Hawk's. Um, Honey Talk. Talk, yeah, who uh, in terms of like video games, like that and SSX in the early days for me were massively influential in the type of songs that I was listening to. Yeah. And so by the time I got to Guitar Hero 2 and Guitar Hero 3, two things happened. One is it 
it found me a whole bunch of stuff like a lot of the kind of classic rock that i didn't really listen to it, it introduced me to a lot of the classic rock but the other thing as well is and this kind of sounds really uh, maybe pretentious or egotistical but it kind of validated my musical taste that yeah a lot of the shit that i like is in this game and i can play it fucking right queens of stone ages in here because things that Queens of Stone Age are awesome. Fucking yeah. right, Smashing Pumpkins on here because Smashing Pumpkins are awesome. Uh, I think the only band that I never got that with was Manix. I don't think I've ever seen much Manix in uh, maybe in like the downloadable. Like, yeah, and there's definitely downloadable stuff in rock bands. But I'm not expecting to see fucking uh, seven, uh, nine stone seven. Why the fuck is it? Four stone seven pounds. Um, yeah, I'm not expecting to see that in in track listings anytime yeah, or so faster. <laughs> um, yeah, and like. I I loved Guitar Hero 3, funnily enough. So Guitar Hero 3, like I said, is the one I played the most. Funny story, uh, I got that. That was my pack-in game with the PS3. Was one oh, really? So there's a retailer. I can't even remember the name of them. But uh, shockingly enough, when I tell you this story, they aren't around anymore. No. Because uh, they weren't on their shit. So they had a deal where you could get the PS3 and any three games for this price and word got out that they hadn't really factored in that guitar hero 3 with the guitar and it was considerably more expensive and thus guitar hero 3 was part of that deal yeah so you could basically like when it evened out you could buy guitar hero 3 if it packed in the console the way it worked out was guitar 3 essentially cost you about 20 quid because of the way it, it evened out over yeah, the yeah, bargain yeah. so I remember the three games I got were Heavenly Sword which to this day I've still never played Heavenly's <laughs> fucking hell wait um, was that was was that Team Ninja yeah yeah um, or Ninja Theory Ninja Theory yeah. um, it was oh, what was the oh god I'm blanking on it Resistance Resistance Fall of Man sure and Guitar Hero 3 and, um, yeah, this was the one of the three of those I played the most first. I played l- little bits of Resistance, and that was the game. Eventually, I, I, I really enjoyed that game and beat yeah. it and stuff. But I was playing Guitar Hero 3 for ages. And, and like, some of, the, some of the songs in that, I was just... It hit me at the right time. Um, like, Reptilia is yeah. in that game. Yeah. Uh, Sabotage is in that game. Uh, the Seeker by The Who... School's out. Suck my kiss, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the thing is, the thing is with um, the Guitar Hero games is like, say, um, a game like Mega Man or even a newer game like Cuphead where it's the art of repetition that, you know, these levels are going to be the same each time out. Mm-hmm. So it's just up to you to get better and to improve. And it's all on yeah. you. And there's also, the, because of the, the way bum notes kind of mute a couple of seconds of the song. If it's a song you really like, you, like, you get really thick at yourself for ruining the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's that, that real kind of satisfying thing, like, say, um, there'll be, like, a, a small kind of part of a solo between a chorus and the second verse or something. And, like, you've just been fucking up over and over again, and then you finally nail it perfectly in, like, harder expert mode. Mm. And this it is one of those really f- satisfying things in, in video games. Um... And I just, I remember sweating profusely trying to get, like, uh, getting 100% on any song in hard mode, Mm -hmm. let alone expert mode, you know. Because that's the thing you're aiming for, is to get that 100%. And that one bum note, uh, just, it it ruins your day. Um, 
the the one song I think that absolutely fucking nailed it for me. This is a game I want to play because this hit me at the exact time that I was just. It was morning, noon, and night. I was into them. Was uh, Night of Cydonia by Muse. <laughs> yeah, which was like just the greatest to me at that time when it came out. And like, because the thing is as well is, I mean, I spent most of my t- time playing Guitar sitting down. But, you know, when no one else is in the house and no one's looking, you do kind of stand up and jump around and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course you do. Of yeah. course you do. And I, I often tell the story, and I mentioned it just before we, we got on the air of the the one of the first times. The, the Rain and Blood is one of them, but the other song from this game that's notorious di- notoriously difficult is Through the Fire and Flames oh, by Dragon Force. Just fucking stupid. What a stupid... Yeah. Just a stupid song, and stupid I remember the idea. the first time I came across that, like, playing through the, the career mode in it, uh, that's the, the, the last one. Yeah. And I, the first time I played it, by the end of it, because that was, like, what, six and a half minutes it's long, is it? Stupid, yeah. By the end of that song, I had started in a standing position, playing away, <laughs> and by the end of it, I was on my knees, screaming in pain at yeah. my hands. It's like, um, I always remember Yahtzee just talking about, you know, and then you get to through the final flames, and just... No, yeah. I'm just no. I'm not doing this. Yeah, it's not fun anymore. Um, yeah, that was definitely the breaking point for me. Um, until the inclusion of the the drums in uh, World Tour and Rock Band to add that extra layer, mm. um, I did get to through the Fire and Flames. Is like, okay, look, I'm I'm never gonna reach that level. It's just not gonna happen. I I got to a pretty decent level on hard mode for most songs. I I just no through the five it was just silly um what um how would i put this what are your takes on how like this the, the flame of these games burned bright for over the course of a few years yep and then it all pattered out oversaturated oversaturated yeah. um you know you had the the beatles game you had the metallica game the green day one yeah, the Green Day one. And it just gets to a point where it's like, okay, I've seen this. I've done this. Yeah. I'm good. Um, there was also, I can't remember, but there were like a couple of different takes on it. I remember there was a, a, a Guitar Hero style game on the Wii that I remember seeing at a games event. Um, which a 3DS one. Do you remember that with the, like, the... Yeah, but this was like a completely different like uh, developer and everything. Ah, but yeah. yeah, but there was like the, the 3DS version of Guitar Hero. And it just gets to the point that there's only so much you can do with this because you know it's variations on a theme after a point exactly they spun out into dj you hero DJ which hero, to yeah. certain people like jeff gersman swears by that yeah game. <laughs> well he's just a fucking weird dude and he's got unsurprisingly a stack of dj hero decks <laughs> in his garage um and then yeah like for me even me being as as much of a fan of um those types of games and being as much into music as i am i just got to the point was like okay look i've done everything that i want to do i've played say it ain't so yeah um and you know unless you're going to, you're going really deep into the iron maiden one back of, catalog one of you've the done all the hits one of the things as well that i think helped kill it was the compatibility issues with the yeah the instruments yeah so there was like there was the instrument there was the pro version of the instruments and then every generation um it seemed as if we were going to have to chuck them in and get new ones and people were kind of forced by the price to commit am i going to be rock band am i going to be guitar hero i can't afford to be both yeah yeah um and i think that definitely contributed to it 
I do think, I don't know, like, as much as I love Guitar Hero and it's the one that made me fall in love with the genre, I do think probably in hindsight the rock band model of the here's the bass game, buy all the songs you want rather than try to make you buy different iterations of the game yeah well probably I mean, the better way to go i i was fine with because they did like add extra things from guitar one two to three mm-hmm. you know there were different things included um but yeah the the idea that hey here's a whole bunch of songs and now here's just the massive uh shop and just buy whatever you want for like a quid or two quid was it was a great way of doing it yeah um and i definitely think that with the the relaunch of the the genre, if you will, we get to hear alive. And what was Rock Band's one? Rock Band just did Rock Band Four. Was it, oh, just Rock Band Four. Yeah. Um, there was definitely the it idea, just, and and that the one thing that definitely had over Guitar Alive was that it had legacy DLC. Yeah. If your account had purchased anything in a previous Rock Band game, you automatically That's, got it as a download. Well, I think the, the the problem with that is maybe that Guitar Hero went through so many different developers and publishers mm. that um that was probably just a nightmare but like katari live i thought tried some interesting things um and tried to vary it a bit with having the three buttons on top three buttons on bottom yeah which actually was quite difficult that's the thing because at that point all you can do is start just fucking around with the actual instrument and like you had rocksmith which was a really cool idea in theory yeah because that was like gamifying actually learning the guitar but it's like for me at that point it's like i just want to play the fucking guitar you know i remember (laughs) i remember going to um an event and they had rocksmith and i was trying to play knights of cydonia and i was like okay this is telling me i'm doing this wrong I know how to play this fucking song. Yeah. I was like, I'm, no, I'm not having this game. Uh. And that was always one of the other things as well with, um, when you would play, like, if you can actually play guitar and you're playing a song that you know how to play, I always found it harder when I'd play it on an easier setting yeah. because, like, the notes that you're trying to hit don't actually match up rhythmically yeah. to well, the song. I remember the the guy who was promoting Guitar Hero 3 was Slash because it was all... He was all over Yeah, because he was on the I remember he did an interview and he was like, what he has found is that the better you are at actual guitar the worse you will probably be at Guitar Hero because you know what your hands should be doing yeah. to make the noise. Yeah. And that's not what you're doing in this. I I, the, I found it harder with songs, um, say, like, say Ain't So, for example, mm-hmm. where it's a lot of chords going on. Like, yeah. something like a Stricken by Disturbed, it's all riff-based. Anything that was riff-based was fine, so Muse was great. Yeah. But anything that was more chords, I, I found more difficult. Um, unless I played it on the harder setting, because yeah. then rhythmically it would match up with what I would expect to be playing at that particular note in that particular time. So, hit, yeah. Hit me with your, your elevator pitch then for a guitar here. Well, if you're into music, you know. But not so into it that you've learned an instrument already. No. <laughs> um, and an instrument and you hate your money. And if you have friends. Yeah. And you want to have. It's a, definitely, like I said, it's a great party game. Yeah. Because the thing is, as well, is because, like, you may have, like, inhibitions about singing or whatever. But the fact is, is you're all staying there with a bunch of plastic toys looking like a bunch of dickheads. Yeah. So all inhibitions go out the window. Yeah. Um, like, we've had a couple of rock band nights here and it's been a lot of fun. I think we had one, it was just the two of us. 
Oh no, we've had. Oh, maybe you weren't around, and we definitely had a good few before you moved here. We we literally had one where you made me do a Navarro by just making me play drums for about four hours. Oh yeah, because that's the one I yeah. So if it was the two of us, I would have made you play drums. If yeah. I had to play drums because I don't do the <laughs> I don't do the drums so good. Um, it's just it's a really cool concept that like for its time was executed uh about as well as you could execute that style of game mm. and with but that it, peripheral. But it was unsustainable. It was. For a while, it wasn't. It was when it was relaunched, if you will, that it definitely came across as um, thinking that it could be self-sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it wasn't the case. Yeah. But, you know, I just... They have a really... Uh, not just Katari, but those types of games have their place in um, the games industry. You know, they're really pivotal for mm. what they did. In terms of peripherals, in terms of uh, rhythm-based games, um, yeah, just and just I think for maybe certainly for me, but for a lot of people, like just introducing a whole bunch of different songs and bands that you may have not been aware of beforehand. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's Guitar Hero. So the only thing that's left for me to do is to talk about what are we going to uh, cover for our book club in episode ninety-one next week, and uh, Mark. I want to take you back to the year 1998. A simpler time, Mark, a simpler time. I was born that year, because I am old. I said 1998. Oh, sorry, I thought you said 1988. Because I was going to go, you look really fucking haggard (laughs) for a 20-year-old. You know what? You could have just stopped off the haggard and I'd have gone, yep. Yeah, yeah, take you back to the N64. Oh, because you've never done that before. Both of us are very fond of... Um, and I is it Glover? Talk, I want to talk a little bit a game that it just is it Goman? No, it's not, not yet. But uh, it's a game that I was inspired because I had forgotten in our haste to start recording this evening that I needed to pick a game. So I was inspired by events going on around us to do WCW NWO Revenge <laughs> on the Nintendo sixty four. All right, so that'll be episode ninety one. Um. That's going to do it for this episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe to us there. Rate, review. It all helps uh, with that search and an optimization. Tell a friend as well. We'd really appreciate it. Linktothecast.eu is the website. But if you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com or follow us on social media where you will get timely updates on our new content and such likes. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash linktothecast or at Link to the Cast on Twitter, and you'll get probably more timely replies on there than you will by email. I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project. Uh, sometimes we stream over Twitch TV. No, we don't. <laughs> sometimes we stream at twitch.tv forward slash Link to the Cast and archive them later on YouTube. Our video series are currently on hiatus, but there's plenty of archived content on our YouTube channel for you to check out. This has been episode 90 of Link to the Cast. I've been Dave Ryan. The man over there has been Mark Robinson. We'll talk to you all next week. Goodbye.